If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Krakover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. It's Dr. Erica here, your Harvard-trained double board-certified psychiatrist, and welcome to this episode of Better with Dr. Erica that features the one and only Ellis Dean. He is a man of many talents and has so many insights that you're not going to want to miss a single minute. This conversation is going to focus on everything from culture shifts in this country, the experience of being black in America, the practicalities of being an ally, along with creating psychologically safe spaces in our personal and professional lives. We'll also be talking about what it's like those moments when you realize what is really going on and the adjustments you have to make as you become more educated and self-aware. You don't want to miss a single minute of this episode because no matter what your gender, race, or ethnicity, you will get something that will help you be better, do better, and live better by being a kinder and more empathic you. So let's get to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Better with Dr. Erica. I am your host, Dr. Erica, Harvard-trained double board certified psychiatrist with over 20 years of experience. And today I have something really special for you. I know I say all my guests are special. This one is really special. So I am so honored to have Ellis Dean in the house. <laughs> short yeah. bus certified, short bus certified. <laughs> <laughs> I have special needs. You are absolutely right. <laughs> I did not mean special in that way. And for all of you out there that don't know Ellis, Ellis is so smart and so humble and so funny. I've known him for years. So the great thing is, this podcast gives me an opportunity to bring on my super friends. And I consider Ellis one of my super friends. So this is someone who is brilliant, that has a background in mental health, who also is a host of the radio show Thoughts and Moments, and who also is the director of digital programming and production for blackdoctor.org. So he wears many hats. So I'm so excited to have him. I know I like to say some things, but I know no one could tell you about Ellis like Ellis. So tell the people about yourself. Uh, first thing, I don't take compliments well. So that's the one thing. So that was the most uncomfortable 30 seconds <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that, I, that I experienced because I do not take compliments well. But, um, you know, it was kind of funny. We were, we were talking before we came on air and I was like, I wanted to put... Uh, 
by my title as Swiss Army Knife because that's kind of what <laughs> I've been uh, throughout my career. Because you know, and I would say this: one of the challenges of uh, being smart is you feel like you could do anything, and I've pretty much done just about anything and everything in my in my career. And somehow I keep landing on my feet, which is you know, I, I guess I'm uh, cat-like at that, at that. Mm-hmm. and that, um, and kind of find my way into some really great opportunities and they keep coming to me. So maybe that's a testament to, to my abilities and, and we'll, we'll sort it out later on in life. But right now I'm, I'm doing well and I'm really enjoying my role with uh, blackdoctor.org. And the one thing he left out is somebody is a rattler. Yes. Oh, come on now. You should know that from, you should know that from the rip. <laughs> well, all the people may not know you're a rattler. You're right. You know, and it's, it's, it's funny. Um, when we were there in school, we knew we all kind of knew we were like, okay, this is HBCU. We knew uh, Dr. Humphreys, uh, Fred Humphreys, who was our president at the time. Uh, we knew that Humphreys babies, that's what we call ourselves, were really great because he had this whole thing about um, recruiting national merit scholars, right? That was his big thing. And so uh, there was a lot of smart people on campus. Like, of course, coming from uh, a small, you know, predominantly white school in, in, in the beaches in Jacksonville, I thought I was the smartest black person on the planet, right? Because that's what all the my white friends told me, right? <laughs> oh, you're not like, you know, like, and then I got to college and I was like, oh, wow, okay. There's a lot of <laughs> a lot of people like me and even smarter around this planet. So uh, going to FAMU really kind of gave me a paradigm shift with regards to understanding black excellence. I knew there was a, there was more, but I didn't realize how great uh, we were as a people until I got there and experienced it on a daily basis. And then to see what uh, my classmates and peers are doing uh, post graduation, you know, it is it is amazing. And then. You know, you'll meet other people and they go, oh, man, you went to school. And I'm like, yeah, I went to school with them. Really? Oh, you went to school? Yeah, I went to school with her. Or I went to, you know, like, mm-hmm. but they're, they're doing great things. Like, yeah, that's my, I could, they're my phone right now. So it's kind of weird uh, in, in that respect. Uh, in some spaces, you're like, wow, it's, when you take a step back, it's, it's awesome. It is, it is pretty cool because it's like, oh, yeah, I was on student government with Stacey Abrams. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you're like, okay, what? You know, so like now people say, oh, you know, Will Packer. Yeah, I know Will Packer very, very well. Name drop. Um, and then he's in my phone. Um, now he doesn't return my text as much as he used to. <laughs> but every once in a while, I still get a return text. You know? so I'm going to sip tea that you out there can't see right now. Matt. <laughs> no, he knows that. I, I, I give grief about that. But I also recognize I don't, I don't text him all the time because I know how busy he is and how much he's representing not only himself, but he's representing uh, FAMU in such a great way. And he's representing uh, Beta Nu uh, Alphas in such a great way. So, um, you know, I'm not going to bug him with my day-to-day stuff. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'll see him when I see him. I got you. So one of the reasons I wanted to have this chat with Ellis is that given a lot of his roles, he's been in the the middle of providing context and commentary on a lot of the things we have experienced over the last, I want to say year, but it's been more than a year between the wonderful world of COVID. <laughs> I know. And, and the uptick and the visibility of racial injustice, because mm-hmm. it's not like it never was going on. It's just now 
it's in a way that people can see and digest it, which has caused people to start having this almost awakening because there are communities that didn't realize this was really going on. And I think they kind of thought that the Blacks were overreacting. <laughs> and they're kind of like, what What are you overreacting to? And, and now I feel like now we've gone through this period where people have started to acknowledge or realize some of what's going on. So it's just been a really interesting year that I feel like everyone is going to be able to mark this year as a year that there's been so much growth and change. Do you feel like you're the same person now than you were February, March of last year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Wow. I didn't expect that question. Um, uh, Yes and no. Right. And I, and I'd say that, and I know that's, that's the universal cop-out, right? For (laughs) for Well, it's not the original cop-out because you're about to say why yes and why no. And why no. So, okay. So yes, I've always been uh, involved in terms of social issues, right? I've always kind of had that. Um, even when I was in high school, kind of immersed in this kind of not knowing myself, there was always a yearning to have a, a higher self-identity and, and recognizing that Black people were more than what I was getting in school. Mm-hmm. So I always had that. Then I went to college and really got it. So that sparked that awareness. And then going to graduate school and all the other stuff, it really kind of skyrocketed from there. So I've always been on that, on that space. Um, I think there's been uh, recently, and the reason why no is because it's been turned up right over the, you know, the four years of, of that presidency that we won't mention. And then the whole George Floyd and then COVID really shining a light on, on disparities and particularly in healthcare that has turned me up because of the role that I play um, in my job and then the role and the way that I feel personally about these issues, everything has kind of been amplified. So it, uh, the, the yes is, I feel like I'm the same. The no is, I feel like I'm the same times 10 because mm. now I feel a greater responsibility to be uh, a voice for the voiceless to, because I'm so visible and vocal. Like the, 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 the sad thing is when I go to, um, Black Doctor's Facebook page, and I and I go to all of our live videos. It's like I see my face like like every <laughs> third or fourth video, and it's like, oh my god, I'm on here a lot. I, you know, I don't realize it. Like, I don't think about it, but I'm on here so often. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all these interviews, and you don't think about it when you're in the middle of it. When you step back and look, you're like, wow, you know, um, I'm doing a lot, but I, I feel like it's my responsibility because of the position, because of the roles that I'm in. I have a responsibility to do it, and so. Um, It's a burden, but it's a burden that I I welcome. Well, and I definitely agree. And I think one of the challenges and one of the things people are seeing is this is one of those moments. There are all these cliches about how diamonds form under pressure and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, all all this stuff. But I, I really feel like there have been so many challenges that have pushed and pulled at the fabric of all of our emotional and cognitive capacity that it's very difficult to have passed through this unit of time and these experiences and not have grown in some way or not have learned something about yourself because it's been such a challenge. And the one thing I always want to bring up for all of you out here is this has been the pandemic itself has been a global experience that we experience individually. 
Right. So there are some people that they feel like the pandemic hit and they got super productive and focused and they did all the things. And then there are people that the struggle was real and they had to really pull down deep inside of them because we've seen an uptick in anxiety and depression during this time and increase in loneliness and just emotional difficulties. It's really been a huge spotlight on mental health. So people are all over the spectrum. And then you add in the season of, of racial injustice Right, is that it's, it's been it's been a huge challenge. It's been a very new time that has made people to start having to rediscover things about themselves and take a look at things. And sometimes you like what you see and sometimes you don't. And then you have to make the decision of, am I going to keep doing it the same way when I don't like it or am I going to change? Well, it, you bring up an interesting point. And I, and I, after, uh, George Floyd's murder, which we can now say, mm-hmm. um, that I said we're in the social justice era, right? So our parents, my parents lived in the civil rights era, right? And so we're in the social justice era, which is a, an, an extension of the civil rights, but our parents were just fighting for rights. We have rights, um, tenuous <laughs> sometimes, but we do have rights. Um, and so now what we're doing is we're fighting for that social justice, that justice mm-hmm. that says just because you're white doesn't mean that I have to explain to you why I'm here napping or why I'm sitting in the Starbucks or why I'm barbecuing in the park or why I'm doing rather innocuous activities that you do on a regular basis. Why do I have to explain it to you or to the police for me just existing? And so that's part of that social justice piece to where um, collided with the explosion of smartphones and camera phones, which I love. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the, the greatest weapon of social justice that we could ever, ever imagine is that that phone mm-hmm. is because I think America and mainstream culture is starting to really see themselves and in a way that they're finding very uncomfortable in that understanding that they could ignore it and say, hey, and, and hide behind, you know, biased statistics to justify these behaviors or because we didn't have it on film, the, the officers or whomever involved can mm-hmm. spin the story. And because the narrative has been created about Black people, that it's more believable to think that the Black person was the aggressor or whatever. And say, hey, but now we've got the, the, the phones, right? And we see the actual events play out. And it's not just a few bad actors, as we've been told, it's more widespread than we really thought. That's why we have concepts like critical race theory coming up and says, okay, the, the, the facts are that, you know, white students graduate from high school, like with only 8% can say why the civil war was fought, right? Mm-hmm. That means 92% of them don't realize it was fought over slavery. And that is a win for the people that are trying to muddy the waters and whitewash, pun intended, American history. And But social justice is saying, okay, well, how do we have all these people acting a fool and, I mean, literally crying, fighting against critical race theory because they understand that they know the history and they don't want it being told, particularly to the people that were the victims, and I use that term loosely, but basically the victims of all of those years of systemic oppression. 
And so, but when we talk about it, when I post on Facebook about mm-hmm. it, when I talk about it, especially to uh, my white friends uh, from high school, I get a lot of pushback, right? Because it's uncomfortable. And, and understanding that that uncomfortableness is where change and growth happens if you lean into it. Right. And so you have to lean into it and say, I'm going to be uncomfortable for a little while because on the other side is a space is an America that's not idealized, but it's actualized in terms of how we approach each other as a citizenship. Right. And so it's, and so I'm trying to move towards an actualized America, not an idealized or romanticized America. Right. And and a lot of what that is, and that's one of the things I bring up about there are moments when people realize what's really going on. There are some people mm-hmm. that basically live a delusional existence and do not exist how people in this country are truly existing. But then there are people that, especially because things became so high profile and so difficult to totally ignore over the last year, that people start looking up and realizing what role did I play or what did I not do? And recently mm-hmm. I actually did a corporate talk. Um, a good friend of mine came in and did um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion talk. And then I came back behind her to help people have some skills to emotionally deal with processing what they were learning. Because one of the huge things that came out is as people realize that they may not have used their privilege for good. Right. Or, or that there are things they did that may not have been fair or they didn't understand or, or they were just trifling at the moment. But as people have those re- realities and start realizing it, then everyone's stuck with all of these emotions of how to deal with it to move forward. And one of the things that we talked about with cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. is you have to take action one way or another. And one way to decrease cognitive dissonance is to reject whatever you've heard that is new and stick in your own beliefs. The other right. thing is is to go ahead and get more facts that back up the new the new facts and lean into it as you were talking about and make new choices and new actions and new decisions. And one of the things I think that's huge and important and one of the roles that you also play is helping to educate people enough that they can start taking action to do things differently than were done before. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back with more conversation from my amazing guest and yours truly on Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for the better tip of the week. And this week we are focusing on self-talk. So you know how you give those compliments to everyone else? It's time to start throwing them your own way. Let's build ourselves up. So every day, I want you to give yourself a compliment. Tell yourself something good about yourself. Anything from, I look beautiful, I look handsome today, I really nailed that meeting, I made a really great lunch. Anything, just tell yourself one positive thing every day. I know you can do it and I know you'll feel better. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. In the world with so many different people that have so many different experiences that it's hard to get everything right all the time. Right. And and kind of the way this country is and we're not the only country like this that there are a variety of groups of people who aren't treated equitably. 
So there are spaces for all of us to learn to do better. And I, I think that's been huge that also came out of when we started seeing the rise in um, Asian Pacific Islander targeted hate, that there's just room for all of us to do better and to learn more and to be allies because no one person is every single demographic. And I, I think that's one of the huge things is it gives all of us have an opportunity to be an ally for somebody. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, and I had this interesting um, dialogue yesterday. I had a I wild hair. I saw this post and I put a, I put a comment about being an ally. And so this guy was saying he was responding to a comedian and he was like, he said, he's no longer a fan. Right. You know, because of his post about in support of Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. And so I just kind of put a, a rather what I thought was a rather innocuous comment. <laughs> but like I literally had to turn yeah. off notifications for it. because It was like over 600 likes and it got out of it got out of control really quickly. But I was just like, we don't need fans like we don't need fans. We need allies. Right. So I'm like, good riddance, you know, because fans only are there. And, and I'm speaking metaphorically in terms of being you know people that have. Black friends, and I consider them fans, right? Oh, because that's a rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I, I could be your fan because, you know, Leroy is my friend, right? And so therefore, I'm a fan of Leroy because I'm getting something out of it. Now, you can convince yourself that, hey, because I have this relationship with, with one or two Black people, that therefore, I don't have prejudice or, you know, racist beliefs or views. But when you, when you carry that out, eh, you probably do, right? So an ally says, I'm going to give you and everybody that looks like you, or there's everybody that's part of your group, even if it's not an ethnic group, let's say it's LBGT, elemental P, whatever. <laughs> LGBTQIA. Okay. You got it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I don't want to be offensive to anybody that if you're part of the community. So um, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive by that. Um, even, in, even in that group, you give them the space to be who they are. That's how I see being an ally, right? And then recognizing the challenges that are part of that group. And so I think that's how, you know, this whole allyship for me uh, path started. I got a certification in DNI from, I did the online thing from, from Cornell. And that opens my eyes even bigger to recognizing where my blind spots were. And I thought I was pretty liberal. Right. You know, I thought, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm speaking on social justice, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you recognize, oh, I have some blind spots. And then and recognize that being an ally is not out there carrying signs all the time. It's just saying, hey, I'm not going to be in a space or create a space where people that are others, you know, unlike me, feel uncomfortable around me and give them the space to be who they are genuinely and not some ascribed, um, comfortable aversion of that particular group, right? So I understand that my ability to code switch and blend in to majority culture has led to some of my success, where some of my other you know, brothers could be just as smart as I am, but because they're, they can't speak the same way and, they, you know, and, and aren't as comfortable, they're not gonna have opportunities afforded to them. And so that's just, that's ridiculous, right? Because I can blend in, it should be about ability, right? And some of that, some of that, some could argue that that is ability, is the ability to blend in. But, but I think there's something huge in the middle of that is kind of looking at what being an ally truly means. And mm -hmm. I think you brought out something that's huge and I, I don't want to skip over it, is that to me, there are two huge things within being an ally. 
one is not only are you a safe place Mm -hmm. or a safe space, but you actively help create safe spaces. Right. The other is one of the ways that we actively create these safe spaces is we speak up when other people cannot. And being willing to speak up when it's uncomfortable, when it's going to be unpopular. Right. And, and not just speaking up when it's convenient. Right. You know, the funny thing is like, um, you know, my, my wife has a has a big role with her company. And so there's been some times where she's been placed in some uncomfortable situations because she sits on a lot of executive teams and leadership boards and all that within her space. And so something will be said that's uncomfortable and nobody will say anything in the moment. But then afterwards, they'll step us. Oh, I didn't like that. He said that blah, 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 blah. And to be an ally is to speak out in that moment. And that's what, you know, when she says this to me, I said, well, what you need to say to that person is I need you to say that in a moment so it doesn't happen again. Don't come and apologize for them to me offline. Step up and say something in the middle so we can squash that kind of behavior. And so, and that's when I had that kind of aha moment where it's like, okay, because I've always been a live and let live kind of person. I'm like, do what you do, right? <laughs> you know, like, live, live your life. I'm not worried about who you sleeping with, what you doing, you know, who you doing it with. Like, do, do you, as long as you're not trying to tear other people down. But in looking back, um, being an ally is that next step, right? And so when somebody, you know, says a word or makes a derogatory term about somebody and they're not there, even if they're not there to defend themselves or their group, you got to say, hey, man, that's, that's not cool, right? And that could put you in a, in a precarious position with your, your, your friend group, with your, you know, your in-group or whatever. But that is what really truly being an ally is, is about. And so, you know, if you're a man and you sit around a whole bunch of men and they start saying this about women and this and that. And you guys, hey, man, that ain't, that ain't cool. Even if that particular person's behavior warrants, <laughs> warrants that uh, description, like that's not cool in a general sense in terms of the language that you're using. But there's a line and, and we have to recognize that that line, if we allow it, allow it, allow it, it starts to condone it. And then it becomes, oh, and then that's how narratives get created. The only way we can get the change that all of us have been looking for is there has to be some type of culture shift. And we can't do a culture shift if it's just us and our immediate best friends. That we have to shift the culture in so many different spaces. And a lot of times I use psychological safety in the context of work, but I think there's a huge role that we can have psychological safety in any space that we're in. I was watching, I saw a clip of an interview with uh, Mark Lamont Hill and he was interviewing a a white guy and he asked him, he said, and the guy was on there kind of speaking against critical race theory being taught. And so Mark said, okay, well, well, you're saying it's it's talking about the negatives of being white in America. He said, so give me give me the positives. He's like, what what do you like? What do you enjoy about being white? And the guy could not answer the question. So he tried to dodge. I mean, he ducked mm-hmm. and dodged. And even at one point, he even said, I'm not answering it because of this and whatever. And he said, because I want to treat people as individuals and blah, blah, blah. We need to get out of this. And he had this whole nice little eloquent speech. And so Mark was like, okay, you know, part of your privilege is being able to say, oh, I want to see people as individuals. You had that privilege, right? As, as a black man, he doesn't have that privilege. He's got a PhD and somebody walking down the street, they're going to see another N-word, right? You know, there's going to be a lot of people that just see that and don't recognize how educated, how he's on this channel, that channel, whatever. They just see another N-word. And even the people that are with him that know who he is, 
are still going to say may still call him that other N word. And so we get kind of painted with this broad brush and privilege is uh, ultimate privilege is being able to not only see yourself as an individual, but have society see you in that same Mm -hmm. vein and as that same individual. Oh, I mean, that's huge. Um, It's like sitting, trying to think of when, when would someone have actually looked at me as an individual? I don't know. (laughs) That's not part of your ethnic group? Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 never, I, never wary. I, never I, wary. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I, I think something huge that you brought up and one of the things we're talking about is the fact that in the midst of all of this, that what helps us all get to this space that we feel like things are actually equitable for all of us, gender, ethnicity, religion, all of that stuff is getting to a space where we're all open to listen and learn and accept whether or not we may have some beliefs that were incorrect or accept that we may have said some things or had some actions that were done out of privilege that were were missteps. And I want to kind of turn the conversation because there was there was a moment in, as I said before, Ellis is a host along with Joy Stevens of the show called Thoughts and Moments. And we were having a conversation. The crazy thing is I actually can't remember what we were actually talking about when it first started. And then there ended up being this entire conversation about the experience of women, which then went into this conversation about dating and how women are perceived even when they were younger about mm-hmm. what is what is loose what is not loose what can you do what can you not do right who are these women that you are holding for marriage because you say they're marriage material and who are the ones that aren't <laughs> but in the middle of it Ellis started talking about his experience in high school about how they'd see some girls and be like they fast Right. Then this one gets stuck in a shelf. And as we all process that, he had this moment and it literally was an aha moment. Like it truly was an aha, like to the point where I'm contemplating asking him if we can maybe even get the clip <laughs> to toss it into this podcast. Because it's a really powerful moment where he says simply, I didn't realize y'all have it hard. <laughs> He's like, it's hard being a woman. It is, you know, because I I think especially when you're talking about marginalized groups, uh, everybody wants to be the the top marginalized group, right? There's this kind of competition. Mm -hmm. Is it homosexuals? Is it Native Americans? Is it African Americans? Is 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 it women? So they all just, you know, and so as as a black man, because of we're so in the forefront in terms of crime and what happened to George Floyd and all of these, you know, unarmed police murders, they're, they're more often than not black men versus black women. So we tend to believe that we have it the hardest, right? We're like, you cannot, you know, we were slaves, we're this, we're that, we're feared around the world, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, okay. And then you start looking within your own group and say, well, what, what are we doing? Like we're marginalizing the very women that create us, right? So we, we reduce them to housewife or hoe, right? It's like, it's like there's all these categories that we place on them. Mm-hmm. And like, y'all have to live your life. Like it is in a, like, I remember when my wife used to travel a lot with her job, it was amazing the amount of mental energy she had to put into where she stayed, where she was on on her hotel room floor, who she went to dinner with, how long she got to dinner with, what she wore, like all that mental energy where men don't have to do that at all. Right. We don't have to do that at all. 
if you all go out on a date with somebody that you actually like, like you actually can like this person and you're still going through this mental checklist. If he does this, what if it happens to this? If he gets aggressive, what do they go? And you go through all these what if scenarios, like that's got to be like, it gotta, it's got to be maddening, right? Just to go through all of that every single time until you start to let that guard down and even then you let that guard down then he can show himself to be an ass like he could be, he could be like he could just be putting on a show and then he turns out to be a jerk and now you're kind of having to pull yourself back together and pick up the pieces because this guy was just creating this facade in order to achieve whatever goal he had set in his mind that's got to be just completely exhausting Every single day to know when you leave your house, like do I have to have my keys in a, in a claw-like manner in my hand, especially if it's dark or dusk outside, because if somebody comes up behind me, when I'm just going to my car, I'm just going to my you know, to the grocery store, am I wearing uh, these leggings and uh, is somebody going to look at it and, and I'm going to get cat calls and all this other stuff? And it's like, Jesus Christ, it's like, <laughs> can I just go and be? Like, I just want to go and be. And so when you, when you extrapolate that out to the overall allyship, you know, conversation, the, the bigger conversation is like, you got to give people the space to just be right. And it's just because you're wearing leggings and a, and a crop top, that's not, it's not an invitation. It's comfortable, right? It's like, it's not an invitation for advancement, right? It's not, you know, where you're, you know, and I know that whole thing where, and to hear some of the nonsensical arguments that are mm-hmm. coming from this paternal society that we live in, male dominated now, but that's easier society that we live in, we view things through that lens, right? And so we say, oh, you know, so the initial respect is, oh, she's overreacting. Oh, well, what was she wearing? You know, so we start questioning her and her experience. And it's like, no, you've got to listen, right? And so just like America is now listening to the experience of Black people because of camera phones, I think that, you know, when the Me Too movement happened, we have to step back and really listen to those experiences that women are talking about every day. And I'm talking, not just talking about regular everyday, I'm talking about professional women like you and lawyers. And I did a show a couple of months ago where we had, I had uh, an attorney, there was a high part of the attorney in, from Florida, I had PhD and an OB, all of my show. Women that had worked in powerful, wonderful, accredited, all that stuff. And they started telling stories about their experience in their professional world. And it was like, wow. So sometimes you got to step back and man, we've got to just step back and say, look, get over yourself a little bit, just a little bit as a black man. I'm not saying put it all down. I'm saying put that maleness down and be a man. And there's two different things. Be a man and a man protects women and listens to them and gives them the space to be who they are without bringing that maleness into the situation. One of the huge things is is just being in a place to recognize our privilege. Because a lot of times people think, well, white men have privilege. They hold all the privilege. And mm-hmm. there are a lot of times where people hold different degrees of privilege. And being able to recognize what piece of privilege that you have. Like we have some privilege as educated people. Mm-hmm. I have some privilege because I've always had food security. Mm-hmm. I have some privilege because I'm a doctor. Right. That doesn't mean I can't experience racism or sexism or other things, but we all have to acknowledge kind of what our space is. And 
I think there are a few things that were huge I want to point out specifically in this conversation is as one is being able to acknowledge and accept ourselves and our own actions and our own choices. The next is being in a place where we are ready to change if necessary or adjust or grow to be better. The next is being open to listening to other narratives and other realities that may not be the one we were taught in school are our own personal experience. And the fourth is when you start stepping up to be an ally, you learn more and you do more and you truly create safe spaces and represent for people who are unlike you. And um, on that note, I realize we need to pay a few bills, so we're about to hop out for commercial. Listen, this conversation is nothing without you, so stay right there, and we'll be back after a message from our sponsors. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. So I, I want to shift just a little bit before we make it to my speed round questions right. and, and ask you what have been a couple of the biggest lessons that you feel like you have learned over the last year? Uh, what I've learned about myself is um, I can't do it all, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, part of, part of who I am is I, I'm, I'm a helper, right, by, in, by nature, Right. I want to help people and I can't help everybody. Um, and so I, I've kind of make it a point of not uh, sinking too deep into that. You know, you want to lean into what your what your calling is, but you can get really deep into it and it can overwhelm. You, right. Mm-hmm. And then you're not good to anybody. So I have to realize that to pick and choose my spots. What I've also learned in terms of the in terms of society is that. Uh, we've got a longer way to go than we thought, right? And and that's disappointing, right? Because I have some really good friendships with with uh, people that are, are part of the majority um, since childhood, right? And it's like it's hard to juxtapose the the greater you know society as a whole against those relationships, right? And so I try to compartmentalize them as much as possible, but it's difficult because you want to say. Why can't it just be like this, right? You know, that's always a, a simplistic and reductionistic and all the istics that you want to put on there. But it, it does feel that simple at times. It's like that person accept, accepts me, all of me, right? And that's what I told that's what I told my daughter when she was going off to college. Is that she's got a lot of white friends in high school. She's got white friends now. And I said, you know, the one thing is that I don't want, you know, your friends are your friends. I said, but they've got to accept you and all of you and not just the dissected version of you that says, why can't other people that look like you be like you, right? If they were like you, then I would like black people. No, 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 no. You have to understand all of me, like, and you have to bring all of me into this, this situation. So the jokes or whatever, and you can, and it's the saying, oh, I'm not talking about you. Yes, you are. When you're talking about anybody like me, 
you're talking about me. And so that's how we kind of raise it. But it's, it, so those are two big things. I learned that I can't do it all. And so I, I learned I can't do it all. And I learned that from society, we've got a longer way to go to overcome the challenges that we face in terms of being more of a homogenous American society versus just these pockets of, of individualized groups. Those are huge points because especially within that lesson of you can't do it all because a lot of times we all try to do all the things. And one <laughs> of the, the biggest parts of adulting is trying to see how many things you can balance at once. Yeah. Um, and then recognizing that at the end of the day, it's like these old wives tales that I swear, I don't know who was brilliant and came up with all of them. But at the end of the day, the only person you can truly control is yourself. Right. And getting to the place where, number one, that you can do your best to be the best you, but also getting to a place where, especially because you can't do it alone, you can enlist the support and help that you need to be able to move forward in a physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy way. Well, all right. So I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm the interviewee, but I'm going to switch to my interviewer hat just for one question. Mm-hmm. Erica, don't you feel sometimes that's the burden of intelligence is that sometimes that you have to utilize that to to add to the greater good of society. Right. And so you have the ability to go to medical school and finish and go and be double board certified and all this other stuff. So that as as a as a black woman. Doesn't that make you feel like I've got to contribute more to help those people that don't have that same ability that are part of my culture, part of my gender, part of whatever groups I'm, I'm, I'm ascribing to? I've got to be that much more because I have been given this gift of intelligence. Oh, I love it. You, you went straight to between superheroes and to, <laughs> to whom much is given. <laughs> I think there's a balance in there. And that's one of the huge reasons I'm even doing this podcast, which is learning how to live in that space where you are of service and that you're able to harness your knowledge, your privilege for the greater good and to help the community, but still do it in a way where you value yourself you value the vessel that God gave you and that you take care of yourself in a way that actually allows you to serve in a greater capacity. And I think what ends up happening for a lot of people is we get caught up in the the burden of serving the entire world and we actually never serve ourselves. So I, I think the thing is, is dealing with that balance and also doing the work and and this is the one thing that I'd say is a huge message to everyone out there is a lot of times we have all these expectations that either we've put on ourselves, society has put on us, our family has put on us, our community has put on us, but we don't do the emotional and mental health work necessary to take care of ourselves. And we just take on all these expectations and all of the things without taking care of of our emotional health. And it's, you see it all the time. I see it in medicine because people will be having trauma responses to work. Well, we have to take care of that. One of the huge things about this pandemic and why I personally believe people are having such strong emotional responses with this 
huge amount of anxiety and depression coming out of this pandemic is the pandemic itself has been traumatic. The experience of having COVID for a lot of people is a trauma because it's traumatic to think you might die. Then it's traumatic to be afraid you could catch something that you might die. It's traumatic to see your loved ones or your friends or people you know die. It was traumatic to watch George Floyd die. It was traumatic to see Derek Chauvin chilling while he killed him. It's traumatic for people to lose their jobs. It's traumatic to be a frontline worker and feel like you're exposed to something that might kill you. The entire experience of this last year has been a lot of trauma elements. And what you see often is because there is so much trauma in our, our society from the traumas that you see in the adverse childhood experiences list to the trauma of racism and sexism to trauma of what they used to call capital T trauma, abuse, assault, rape, major disasters, is that people have an overall rather large baseline level of trauma mm -hmm. that all got reactivated and amplified by the trauma of COVID. Absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with that. And I, and I think, you know, and everybody has a different trauma response, right? So like literally, I, I guess the best example is like you see somebody getting a bad accident mm -hmm. and you ask them what happened and they don't remember it because like, that's how I feel for me. That's how 2020 is. Like I have to literally be in a situation where I have to say, oh yeah, 2020 actually happened, right? Because I, I've literally kind of pretty much have blocked that year out of my mind. And I know stuff happened. I know I, I know I can tell you the events and activities, but overall, I just told a you know, major event, but I, I blocked it out. That's my That's been my trauma response and to try to go deeper. But I, I, I do think that what we're seeing now, like, like you have a big, you know, weather event and then you have these off shooting events, mm -hmm. like, you know, that's what I feel like. So we had the big weather event with, with COVID still going on, but now we have these offshoots, right? Because people are responding to trauma. So we see, you know, somebody responds to that trauma in a, in a poor way because they get that, that last bit and then you have a mass shooting happen, right? So we've seen these mass, these office work-related shootings. We see, you know, all of these other, elements. I don't want to get into all the negative, but there's all these other things that are offshoots because of the major trauma that you're talking about, which is COVID, which is, I guess that's the one that's pushed a lot of us over the edge. It's like, okay, I can't take another thing, right? It's like, I can't, I can't take another thing because I'm, I'm dealing with so much stress because the beautiful thing is I have been blessed, you know, through this process, right? And it got to the point where like, we stopped putting good things that were happening. I didn't even post that I got the job of Black Duck. I just changed my job title on, on Facebook. Cause I know people were losing their jobs. I know people were at tenuous places of losing their homes or COVID. So I don't want to be like, oh, I'm living great. I just got a great job. You know, my wife got a great job. You know, it's like, so it, you feel that, but it's like, man, you know, it's tough. And, but you don't, you don't want to carry everybody's burden because that could beat you down. But you do recognize that, hey, and I, I think that's what you're talking about in terms of self-care in, in a way is that, you know, have empathy, but you can't let it overwhelm you or you'll get pushed into that that trauma response mode that's not healthy for you or the people around you. Right. And and to me, you have to take a, a, pass, a step past self-care that, you know, because a lot of people look at self-care as this is something I do that feels good. And there are times where people need more than self-care. People are so traumatized, a lot of them need me or someone like me, that they they need some professional mental health assistance. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think we're seeing we're seeing the result of when people have 
all of this untreated trauma and then something else happens. You know, one of the things I, I was thinking about when we were having this discussion, I was like, we probably should write like a, a model, you know, like uh, William Cross has that an aggressive model in terms of uh, identify um, mm-hmm. like your, your racial identity. I think we should probably write a model on, on their journey to being an ally. Right. And what that looks like, like what is the first stage and then, and then know the steps all the way to being a full and, and have those, identifying markers that what makes you a full ally and the steps along the way, right? The, the recognition the, and have like a full- Don't say thing. it all out loud because if we do it, this needs to be trademarked. Oh yeah, but we, we've got it. But we can say, hey, when you when you post this, you can say, hey, we posted that before yours came out, right? Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so we, we, you said you had some rapid fire questions for yes, me. Yes, I, I, I do have some. I, I do have some. And I just want to do one thing in closing before we switch into those. It's just say I encourage everyone, as you hear me talking to you, imagine that talking to a good mental health professional, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a licensed counselor, is going to be something similar to if you imagine you're on the other end instead of Ellis and we are just chatting, is that it can actually feel that comfortable So I want you to explore it and consider it if you felt overwhelmed or that things are just a little bit too much because one of the things we've seen happen and why I think this has just hit people so hard emotionally is if you are not in the highest amount of emotional health, you start reaching your emotional and your cognitive capacity. Mm -hmm. And I want you to be able to be in the best place to take advantage of every single day of life you have, because one of the hugest lessons we learned in COVID is every day isn't given. So on that note, it's speed round. Okay. Are you ready? I guess. (laughs) You got this. So the first question is, what's the best lesson you learned from your mom? She used to have a saying two sayings. One was you can't dance on every set. And so that was, uh, that meant that you can't go everywhere and, and be everything to everybody. Uh, the second thing she would say is water seeks its own level. And so you're not just yourself. And so that she would say that sometimes when I would hang out with people that weren't the, the best, had mm-hmm. the best character. And I was like, well, that's them. That's not me. And she would say, well, water seeks its own level. And so you have to be mindful of, of who you are and who you're associating with uh, going forward because that association does reflect on you. Oh, so I those lo- are two great lessons from I from love those. I feel like, yeah, you had a great, you have a great mom. So what is one piece of advice that you would tell your younger self? I would tell my younger self to choose one track, one, one career path and follow that to all the way through because, um, I was curious. I am naturally curious. Um, I tended to jump around a lot uh, in my younger days because I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And I would go do that or I'd go get another degree or do this and do that. And then it took a while, you know, for me to, you know, get some some footing. And I see like, you know, my peers now are like really advanced in their in their jobs. And, I'm, and I've done a lot of great things. Um over, over my life, but I, I would go back and say, okay, maybe I stick to one hard and go hard for that and then start to and explore my curiosity in other ways other okay. than just changing careers. Got it. That's intriguing. Hmm. The next one is what is a favorite gift to yourself? When I get a chance to go play golf. Oh, 
Got it. Right, because that's that's four hours, five hours of just getting away and disconnecting as much as I can from the world. And and while I'm not the best golfer, um, I'm good enough to where I'm not terrible. And I get that moment of disconnect, and that is precious. Okay. Do you wear the little golf shorts and everything? Uh, look, I got a whole, you know me. I, <laughs> I got a whole golf ensemble. I got the plaid pants. I go all in. Pink pants. Uh, I got I see the hat. and hats and all kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I go all in. <laughs> so if you have a day off, what are you looking forward to doing? You know, sometimes, like, you know, my life is really simplified now. So what I look forward to now is if I can't get dedicated to five hours to go play golf, um, what I look forward to doing is just kind of being home and I'll turn on some sports and, and watch that. I'm a, I'm a sports junkie. So, um, and I'll turn on sports that don't require a whole lot of attention, right? So I'll turn okay. on like golf or I'll turn on baseball that I can kind of just be as background noise and I help, and it helps me clear my mind. Okay. I, I think I have a little ADHD. And so watching something like that, that doesn't require a whole lot of mental energy helps me quiet the noise of my mind firing off and thinking different things and doing different things. So I just kind of helps me relax and, and, and keep my mind steady. Got it. Now, what is one thing that you do if someone either disrespects you or underestimates you? Uh, well, spite is a great uh, short-term motivator. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, and I'm, and I'm uber competitive. So, you know, I, I tend to, it, if somebody disrespects me, I say, okay. I, I, I always like, you're going to find out, right. Who I am and, and what I can do. And, and, and typically, you know, I, I have won more of those arguments <laughs> that, I, that I've lost. And so, you know, spite has motivated me to do a lot of, a lot of different things. And, and, uh, and the last one is, what is your superpower? I connect with people very, very well. Yeah, that, that's really my superpower. Like, I can sit down and have a conversation with just about anybody and, and connect. So can you tell the people, is there any final takeaway you'd like to leave the listeners with? I, I think one of the things uh, to this point in my life, I think um, one of my philosophies is never stop learning, right? And mm-hmm. so... If you think that you've learned enough to where you've got the world figured out, that's to me, that's the, the start to your decline, right? So you, there should always, you should always be curious. You should always know that there, there's something else out there that you don't know that, that, that can spark your interest, that can keep you going. Because those are the things that keep in, and you know this better than I do, Erica. If we keep our minds activated, if we keep our minds curious and, and seeking more knowledge, then that can ward off. Alzheimer's and dementia and all those other things that can, that can set in, we've got to keep ourselves, our minds active, like, and as well as your body, you have to stay physically active as well, but you've got to keep your mind active and just realize that you don't know everything. Um, and you've got to give the world and people their context in order to be able to fully appreciate who they are. Because if you try to put them in your context, that's how we put people in boxes and stereotypes and all of those things. So, so never stop learning. Always be curious and give, allow people their context. Well, hey, I'd drop a mic, but I'm not trying to do that to the sound. That would be super duper janky. So can you tell the people where can they find more Ellis? 
Uh, the best way would be going to our Thoughts and Moments Radio uh, Facebook page, and that's uh, Thoughts and Moments Radio on Facebook. So you just put in at Thoughts and Moments Radio. You can find us there. Or if you uh, follow uh, blackdoctor.org on Facebook, you'll see me on, on soon on, on a Facebook Live broadcast in some capacity. And if I'm not on it, I'm probably producing it. So just know that um, you can always find me on blackdoctor.org uh, as well if you want to see me there. But um, uh, thoughts. If you want to reach me, that's probably the best way to reach me is through our thoughts and moments page, and then I'll respond and get that get that message and 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 reach out to you. So um, I think I've done my ten thousand hours. That Malcolm Gladwell theory of of being able to master something, mm-hmm. you have to put in your ten thousand hours in terms of hosting. So if you need a host or something like that, uh, an interviewer, whether it's in person or or virtual or even just a podcast, holler at your boy. I, I you know. I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> I like you. I, I I like you. And first, I want to just say thank you for giving us your time and choosing to give some of your time to me. I know you're a very busy man. So I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule for myself and the listeners. So first, I just want to say Thank you to you. I want to send a huge thank you out to all my listeners, for to all of you for taking some time out to let us spend this quality time all up in your ears. I hope you were able to learn something or get a new insight through this. My parting word is simply be open to change. One of the things we've talked about through this entire episode is being open to seeing things differently, being open to doing things differently. And in the middle of being and doing things differently, some of the difference sometimes is getting some help. So I just want you to to be open so that we can continue to be on that path to be better, do better, and live better. And part of the way we be better is that we're, we're open to growth. So I want to send that out to all of you, send out some love and virtual hugs. And until next time, have a better day. To stay in touch with all things Better with Dr. Erica, you can go to betterthepodcast.com and you can also follow us on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. My parents used all the letters on all social media. I look forward to hearing from you. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.